What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Mavs Film Room Podcast coming to you on May 20th, 2023 at 7.35 p.m. The Lakers Nuggets Western Conference Finals Game 3 is literally tipping off right now. So I don't know if we timed it like that or not, but there's a basketball game going on right now. We're not here to talk about either of those two teams. Uh, we're here to talk about the Mavericks, as our name suggests. <laughs> I'm your host, Jay Apaji. I'm in person with all of us here, Vinay, Fazl, and Rohan. It's great to be back for another in-person episode. How's it going, guys? Swell. Rather swell. Yeah, pretty good. I'm sleep-deprived, which is the norm, but I feel good. <laughs> good. Let's talk ball. <laughs> talking ball that. is what we're here for uh you know yeah la- so last episode that we did together it was obviously on the draft lottery night and by now you guys are all aware if you weren't that the mavericks are keeping their pick in this year's draft they you know ended up with the 10th pick as their odds suggested they would and now we focus our attention on what they're going to do with that pick to try and improve their team not only for this season but presumably for the foreseeable future and there's a multitude of options that they can take with that you know i i'll just list them out right now i mean you know, the, the the popular one being discussed right now of course is trading that pick as part of a larger deal for you know an established veteran player i think some other options of course are actually selecting a player at 10 uh, which comes with it both its upsides and its risks and then there's the other option, which I think people are starting to discuss a little bit more, which is trading back. So still picking in the first round of this year's draft, but not at 10, maybe at 12 or even later in the draft. And, you know, when you trade down, you can also pick up some assets in the process, too. So hmm. I think those are the three main options the Mavericks have leading up to the June 23rd draft. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about especially that last one because people have just started getting on it now. Uh, and talking about who those trade partners could be. Also, it puts less, uh, I guess, weight on the Mavericks trading that 10th pick for somebody serviceable immediately because, honestly, it's not looking like they're the market makers in that instance, right? you got to wait for some dominoes to fall um, in Portland, and I I think that there's a couple picks from 6 through 8 that could really stay where they are. Like, the Wizards could take Whitmore... Um, but they could also trade it for something else. You you never know. Uh, so yeah, uh, I enjoy the idea of uh, trading back to OKC, but I don't know how realistic it is either. They can they have the salary to take, let's say, Bertans off of our hands, but would they do it to trade forward to ten? I think that's a really fascinating question, just because you know OKC has so many first round picks. Um, you know, for the next several years, obviously way more than they can actually roster, you know, on their team, right? You only have 15 full-time roster spots, right? They have probably more first-round picks than that, right? So I do think that they'd be, I mean, that's what the reporting suggests, that they'd be willing to package one of their future picks or current picks in this draft to move up. We'll see how true that is. But I do agree with you that the Mavericks may not be the market setters in that regard. There may be a more appealing deal for OKC if that was the route they chose. Yeah, I mean, for instance, I don't know. Um, 
Okay, Portland's not a good example because they have a freaking third pick. I'd take probably quite a lot to for OKC to move up to get that, but uh, that would be an instance where I feel like if OKC packaged a player with number 12, um, you know, maybe Portland looks at that, but I don't know. That's, again, to your point, that's the Mavs likely aren't going to be the ones who are moving up, up, moving down from 10 to 12. Um, but the idea itself shouldn't be totally dismissed. I think there are other teams outside of um, OKC who the Mavs could potentially move down for, which, you know, this is a deep draft. People who are going to be available in the teens or, you know, even, at, say, I don't know, pick 20-ish, they would be a lotto pick they could be a lotto pick in other drafts in weaker years. So there's really a lot of options to go um, explore here. And part of what makes it so tough is that I don't, damn, what a block. Part of what makes it so tough is, um, you know, just the nature of the draft. Like you don't really know what's going to happen until the draft is actually going on and, you know, all this shakes out. Well, we do know that Victor Wenbanyama is going to fall to 10. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, I, I pretty much made my point. Like, you know, you never know, for example, say some team really values Jairus Walker and uh, he drops down to like nine and OKC is like, yo, we want to pick him up. We're going to trade for trade up to nine. Like, you don't. Obviously, that move is not going to be made in advance. You don't know that such a dude is going to be falling down automatically. So um, it's that's why it's tough to project. Yeah, nine is I guess Utah. So that's definitely a team that you got to watch out for as well. They got a lot of parts that they can move. Although I've heard it said that they're probably going to keep building around marketing. Yeah, and I think the one option you guys, I guess, haven't really talked about, which is kind of, I think, the most realistic option for them right now is maybe staying at number 10 and just trusting your scouting department because eventually, like, <laughs> for a sports organization, like, you have to eventually trust your scouting department and hit on draft picks, especially when salary cap rules constrict your team a little bit. So if they're able to find a player at number 10 that they like, that their scouts just trust and they think they have a high future for for this league, like... You know, that's probably my favorite option right now. And just just kind of hoping you hit a home run there and seeing what happens from there. Because, like, defensively, you should be able to get a good player that can play right away in the playoffs. And defensively is where a lot of rookies struggle to see the floor. And if we can add there, that's where I would add. Yeah, especially at the at the guards. I mean, for all the criticisms that you can have of those combo guards, maybe the point guards that are right around, you know, 10 to 15 mocked in that range uh, i would say more than half of them are plus defenders and can fit there right away um but that being said uh i'm not super confident in the mavs ability to catch up on scouting it seems like from all reports they didn't think this year was going to go the way that it did so we know that throughout the season they weren't really on the scouting as much yeah so it's gonna really take they have to discern between 13 15 guys uh within the course of like a month and a half that's that's not easy so we'll see i understand their base desire to just trade the pick because of that um and historically i mean let's call a spade this a spade the mavs have not drafted 
great in those situations for the majority of their existence. Yeah, I mean, I will say this, though, that the Mavericks have been better. I mean, people have pointed this out, too. The Mavericks in recent years have been better with scouting and drafting, right? Like, I mean, Luka, obviously, everyone knew he was going to be great, but Jalen Brunson was a really good find for them at 33. Um, you know, Josh Green, it, it took him a couple of years to really turn into a productive player, but we see that faith in him paying off now. Jaden Hardy, of course, was a guy that they had ranked, I think, 19th on their draft board. They were able to find him at 37. So, I mean, you know, the Mavericks scouting department has produced some wins here in the last, uh, you know, five years or so. That being said, I, I do think that, they, like you said, they didn't expect this year to go the way it did. So I think aside from scouting, like, the top, you know, four guys in the draft, like, that's something that they're really going to have to, you know, bear down on here in the next month because, you know, I think most people in the league expect the Mavericks to trade their pick for, uh, you know, an established veteran, right? Uh, not only that, the Mavericks possess a few contracts that they'd like to get off of, so... Um, I, it, it's, it's understandable why people expect that, but I do think we need to not brace for the possibility, but seriously consider the possibility, like Vinay said, that they do select a 10, because today Mark Stein reported that um, I think the Mavericks are putting that signal out there that, you know, they're going to consider all their options before, like, you know, committing to trade the pick, right? You know, they, they still got to do their scouting. Like, I'm sure that there's going to be guys that they end up liking. Like, I'm sure if Taylor Hendricks is going to be a guy that they really like. I mean, is he going to be available at 10? Doesn't seem like it, but uh, it's it's kind of like that. And I think another thing is like, yes, while players in, you know, selected at 10 historically don't have a, you know, record of being playoff, you know, producers, I do think you kind of got to look at it more in the range of picks, right? Like in that 10 to 15 range, um, there have been guys like Paul George, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, and not to say that the Mavericks or, you know, this year's draft class has those type of guys in that range. But uh, that's all to say that there are quality players you can pick at 10. Or even if you trade down to like 12 or 13, like there are guys that you can get um, that will be able to help you next year. You know, can Anthony Black fall to that range? I mean, I know he's a combo guard and the Mavericks technically need a wing, but he's 6'7", right? Like that's, of course, you know, an archetype of a player that they could use. And he can handle the ball. I mean, shot creation has been something that they've struggled with uh, for years now. You know, you add him to Luka, Jaden Hardy, and hopefully Kyrie Irving, that's like a solid four guys that can really create. So um, I don't think we should fully, uh, I guess, give up on the idea that they're going to select a player. But, you know, if you if I were to choose or if I were to be asked, I would probably say that that pick is going to be traded. Um, I'm looking through the full list now. Um, I fully expect Hendricks to be gone to Indiana at seven. Um, Whitmore gone at, at eight. Um, here's the thing, though. Everything kind of hinges on the Rockets and the Pistons. I think we're forgetting um, that the Rockets would like to move up, uh, but they also have a lot of young guys that they could package with that pick if they want to move somewhere else. And Detroit could very well move down. They have a lot of young guys that... They have a surplus of young guys that could go anywhere else in the league. Uh, I don't think they're making Ivy or Duran available because they didn't win the <laughs> Wembenyama sweepstakes. But uh, we saw them get rid of Bay earlier. Um, 
Yeah, I fully expect that to be a variable situation where Detroit could end up, let's say, trading down to OKC. And I see 14 with uh, the Pelicans as a more natural trade partner, um, just purely in terms of what the Mavs' assets or lack thereof could allow them to trade down for. Um, I think that's probably the upper limit being 14, unless they throw in future picks in there. Yeah, I mean, I think the trading down option will be considered. I mean, the Mavericks do have a history of doing it as well. I mean, infamously, you guys remember the 2013 draft when I think they had the 13th pick. They ended up trading down uh, in a pure salary-saving move. Um, I don't know what pick they ended up getting. I think 17, and they got Shane Larkin. But uh, I don't anticipate them going that route just purely to save money. But if there's a deal that makes sense and a player that they like, that they feel they can get... Um, lower than 10, I would think they'd seriously consider that. But, you know, the other option, of course, it, like has been discussed, is trading that pick for a veteran. And in that scenario, you're probably not getting a first-round pick as part of that deal, right? You're probably getting just that veteran player, um, maybe like a future second or something like that. But I think the main benefits of doing such a deal is like, to get off some of your bad contracts and add a, an impact player, right? And the price of doing that business is including the pick. That being said, I don't really know what deals are going to exist right now, uh, to be honest with you, because the Mavericks are not the leader in the clubhouse in terms of assets, right? Like they got the 10th pick, but other teams have more picks, um, more, I think, younger players that they could sacrifice in such a deal. So it's really going to come down to another team to kind of set the market for the Mavericks to really probably get into that, if, if we're being honest. Isn't it possible for the Mavs to select a player and not immediately trade him on draft night? Like, if, say, a, mater- a deal materializes like a week or so later. Isn't, is that possible? Um, I, for- I forget under the rules. Does of the like recently the sign restriction? Yeah, I don't know. If, is that a thing I mean, you or? could probably trade the draft rights, I think, um, to a player. But I guess... Uh, I guess the thing the thing about it though is like if the Mavericks do select on draft night like for another team like they'd want to make that pick for the other team if that makes sense right unless like they're discussing trades and the other team is like we don't care who you pick at that at that spot like I mean I guess like uh, a deal that comes to mind is like last year's Rudy Gobert deal right like the uh, the Timberwolves selected Walker Kessler probably because they felt he was the best player on the board when they were selecting but then. The deal for Rudy Gobert materialized later on in the summer, and because he was a young, you know, prospect that was just drafted, he was included in that deal uh, for that reason. So I guess that that's also a scenario that that could come into play too. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about that scenario. So yeah, that is a possibility. And gosh, it seems like there's just no end to like. I don't know, this goes as far as your imagination can take you, so... It is definitely a tough spot. Like, it's great the Mavericks are keeping their pick, but that's really half the battle. Honestly, not even half the battle. Like, whatever the Mavericks do, we've talked about this before, it's got to be a home run, right? Like, whoever, if they pick, it's got to be a player that can contribute immediately. If they trade it, it's got to be for a player that... uh, is solid and also, like, isn't an expiring contract like Christian Wood, right? Like... 
this is whatever they do has got to benefit them not only for this year but for the next several years at the at the least, right? Yeah, but that's the tough part with any rookie that you take at number ten is, you know, the Mavericks are hopefully going to put themselves in a position to where they're competing for being the Western Conference champions next year. And you know, when you're relying on a rookie just to come in immediately on a playoff team, it's asking like a lot. Like rookies, like even right now in the Final Four with these conference final games, uh, Christian Brown for the Nuggets is the only rookie that's in a rotation right now. So like. Anyone that you draft a tenant, even just asking them to be like a starting minutes type of player right off the bat is asking for a ton. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Like, I mean, you know, with any rookie, there's ups and downs. Like, unless they're like one of the top three or four guys, like, um, there's going to be ups and downs. And the playoffs are often a time where you see a lot of downs for young players just because, you know, they got to adapt to a new style of play, right? So... That's certainly a risk, but I guess it it depends. Like, how much are the Mavericks trying to uh, wait, like the future versus the present? Right? It's a tough place to be in because you got Luca, who's twenty four. Um, in theory, you do have some years that you can afford to have, like you know, a young guy develop alongside him. But you know, you got Kyrie Irving, who's now thirty one, right? So that has accelerated the timeline a lot. So. You know, you want to maximize the years that Kyrie is in his prime, assuming he's back. That Luca is, you know, playing at an MVP level. When those two guys are both clicking, like, you only have like a two or three year window, in my opinion, to to truly contend with those two guys before I think Kyrie's age starts to become a factor, and you got to start thinking about, okay, who's the other guy we're gonna put next to Luca, right? Yeah. Uh- I think especially with these wings, I am slightly nervous because Josh Green, I, I really like him in a Mavs uniform and I have been less critical of him than the majority of Mavs fans. But we do remember that draft and we do remember that Desmond Bain fell a long way and did contribute more immediately. And not to make it a player versus player thing, but in terms of the trajectory of the Mavs, one player maybe would have made more sense uh, to add to the roster at that moment. So, in general, drafting a combo guard or, or a wing makes me nervous only in that aspect. Um, but I do feel like, in general, their talent evaluation in regards to how playable or, or where a guy's floor is on offense um, is pretty dependable with the Harrison administration. <laughs> so... And either way, it's too small of a sample size with the Harrison administration, like he says. Uh, (laughs) To decide good or or bad if they're good at scouting for players or not. So, like, it's still, like, a question mark. Like, I get Jaden Hardy at the 37th pick last year was a home run, like, awesome. But, like, it doesn't necessarily tell us how Nico Harrison's going to be doing evaluating guys going forward. Yeah, I mean. I hope that with the 10th pick being that high up and what draft class that many are calling deep. Uh, you would hope that he would be able to find someone there that they would just be in love with almost. That's the thing, right? Like, that's the argument that I see for selecting a player because, like, you know, you see a lot of this talk about how, like, guys selected at that range aren't historically playoff, uh, you know, contributors, and, and that, that makes sense. Uh, or you can't, like, find, like, a good value at that spot. But, you know, that's what good scouting departments and good front offices do. Like, they find value in in places that may not necessarily um, 
produce that at a, on a consistent basis, right? Like the scouting department can absolutely find someone in this draft, right? This is not like a weak draft. This is considered to be, I think, one of the stronger drafts in recent years. So um, there's absolutely a player you can find there that, that, that can benefit you. Um, you know, one thing that I heard on uh, Tim Cato's podcast was that um, the Harrison administration uh, kind of has different priorities uh, than, you know, the Nico, or sorry, the Donnie Nelson uh, front office, right? With Donnie Nelson, uh, a lot of the way that they scouted was based on, I think, skill and finesse. Whereas with uh, Nico Harrison in the small sample size that we've seen, uh, it's been a lot about positional versatility, athleticism. Um, and I know that's not really been reflected in the roster necessarily, but I can see that because you look kind of at, um, you know, the types of players they brought in during the COVID outbreak in 2021 in the winter. Uh, it was a lot of versatility that was brought from those players like, you know, Brandon Knight, Charlie Brown Jr., <laughs> Theo <laughs> Pinson. I mean, it sounds funny, but these are all like, you know, players that are kind of in that 6'5 to 6'7 height range, guys that can play, you know, two to four, right? So I'm interested to see how that philosophy translates into the highest draft pick that Nico Harrison has had to date. And then also, like, we got to remember, Dennis Lindsay is now a consultant for the front office. He has a decent track record of drafting from his days with Utah. Um, you know, he drafted Donovan Mitchell in 2017, the year in which the Mavericks picked Dennis Smith Jr. And uh, the Mavericks actually worked out Donovan Mitchell that year. Um, Rick Carlisle famously really liked him and wanted the Mavs to pick him. But I think the Mavs front office felt that he wasn't uh, the type of player that could be that was worthy of being picked at nine. But, you know, if there was a scenario in which they traded down, I think they would have been comfortable picking him. So I do wonder how Dennis Lindsay uh, and his draft track record is going to influence the Mavs approach here. I think that's something that can't be um, overstated at this point. Sure. Um, there, there are a few... Um, there are a few guys just in that range that I think would be great defensively for the Mavs. I think one guy that everyone overlooks, maybe due to, I don't know, a lack of marketability, is Grady Dick. I know all mocks have him falling to Dallas right now. But in terms of build, in terms of how he can play, I think he reminds me a little bit of uh, Caruso on the Lakers. I think he can fit like how he was there a few years ago before he wound up with the Bulls. Um, I feel like he can fit into that type of role. I don't know about that though because he's not a defender at all. Like he's a shooter. You know, he's kind of like, you know, he's kind of Davis Bertans, I guess, with some more offside, right? Uh, not, I, wow. no, his his defensive fundamentals wow, are really good. I, I think you you just haven't watched film in this regard. Maybe. He's not, he's not an athletic defender. He's not going to stop yeah. you with his build. But his whole play style in college and the reason why he's been lauded is because his whole thing was turning defense into offense. So he, he physically it does have a pretty decent build. It's just he's not like an athletic guy. That's true. But I do think that with, with Luka and Kyrie, like you got two elite scorers who are not known for their defense. Like you need everyone else on the team has got to be defenders and, and athletic defenders, I would say too. The issue is you're not getting a guy at a wing position that's an athletic defender at 10 unless you just get insanely lucky, which I'm going to put... Like, if you get Osser Thompson falling to 10, like, that's just a blessing. 
but I genuinely don't think it's going to happen because everyone understands the value of the draft at this point. And those wings are so high ceiling that it's it would take like two teams trading their picks and then those guys wanting specific guards. But on the flip side, I think there are two or three guards that are at least decent enough at defense to where they can fit into your bench right away and uh, assist in that way. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like picking a 10 is going to get you a defensive wing that can be who you need him to be in his first year. I think if the Mavs had gotten up to the top four, maybe we could have had that discussion. Are you talking about Kaysen Wallace and Anthony Black? Basically, yeah. You're you're basically stuck with Kaysen Wallace and Anthony Black if you want a good defensive combo guard. Um, and I know you said Kaysen, or not Kaysen Wallace, Anthony Black is 6'7", but I, I wouldn't depend on putting him at the three necessarily. I think maybe Josh Green would be a little better uh, against wings. I think you put him at the at the two off the bench, and he's probably fantastic. But you know, this is a very positionless league, so who knows? Maybe you draft Anthony Black. You're putting him in the starting lineup in in stints going through the second quarter, um, and he does really well. You, like you never know. But on paper, there's nobody that fits everything that you described, Jay. So you're no, going to yeah, have to, you're going to have to, if we're talking about actually picking someone there, you're going to have to evaluate the player and be like, okay, he can't, this isn't what he falls back on, but this is a skill that this guy has. Yeah. So I do think Grady Dick is a guy that should be seriously talked about, but again, I don't think he's the best fit for the Mavericks. Um, I don't see them picking him, to be honest with you, but it's, I guess it's possible. You never know. And even if he's not necessarily the best fit, and I get basketball, you got to have, especially next to guys like Luka and Kyrie, you have to have defenders around it. But like, if the way you evaluate the prospects and you think Grady Dick's the best player on your draft board and you think he's going to be this crazy high-ceiling offensive player, like, I mean, just if worse comes to worse, just trust your scouting process and take the player that you have at the top of your board. Yeah, even if it fit, is Grady it, Dick. Yeah, it may not fit exactly, but uh, I guarantee you there wasn't the the conception of Jalen Brunson and Luca as a as a core that could work exactly the way they worked when they went to the conference finals last year, but they did. That's true. Um, it's That's also true. you can trade that guy. Yeah, I mean, right? It, it, you can trade Grady Dick thing, if he's right? really yeah. really good off your bench because yeah. the Mavs don't have a ton of guys off the bench that these guys can play off of. Right, so if you have a guy that offensively can make plays, can shoot, I think that makes Hardy, that makes Josh Green that much better too. Like, and that's why, yeah. like, I like staying at number ten. Like, worst case scenario, like if we if draft night goes horribly with the first nine picks, like we're still, you know, we have a board of one of the guards, Casey Wallace, Anthony Black, or Grady Dick. Like, worst case scenario, one of those three guys will will be there. So, like. That's why more and more I talk about it. Like that's why I like staying at ten, and also like just looking at the rookie scale for the tenth pick in the draft. They make less than five million dollars, which in this yeah. Well, why are you pocket watching, bro? <laughs> what you said? I said why are you pocket watching? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's a, like, but that's a huge thing. Like if you hit on that especially pick, with the second apron, right? And on the new CBA. one yeah. of your most valuable contributors is making less than five million dollars. Then like that's that's where you build great sports teams. And other teams really value those guys on their rookie contracts. So exactly. going back to what Fossil said, if you don't trade them immediately after the pick, like if it isn't a pick and trade situation, I think there still is value that these guys have. Yeah, I was telling, um, I was talking about this with somebody else um, 
couple days ago, and I was making the defense for the Mavs picking Kaysen Wallace at 10, which I was, I was telling them, you know, I was watching some film on Kaysen and um, just getting a feel for, like, what he actually brings to the court. And I was telling them, hey, like, if Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks aren't there at 10, then I'd be totally content with picking Kaysen because uh, he brings, you know, he brings a lot of great talent, um, features, skills, sorry, to the team that I think the Mavs are lacking in. And sure, he's a guard, but that doesn't really matter when we're so (laughs) thin for talent everywhere. So, like, yeah, like, um, the person who I was talking to, he was like, yo, you know, um, we already have Luka and Kyrie. If you're going to draft somebody at 10 and they're immediately bringing them off the bench, that's not great. That's not great asset management, which I see that point for sure. But, like, as I was saying in response to that, um, you know, that, that player, if it's a guard, they're still going to be the primary backup. And um, you, you basically got that guard, in theory, and Jaden Hardy, and that's about it. And then sometimes, you know, Josh Green could be taking a guard spot, but usually he's going to be at the three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... You can also, if you actually have guard depth at that level, then you can afford to play Luka at the three or four sometimes. You can run a little smaller, and um, I think it was underrated in last season how when Luka played at the three or the four and the Mavs went small like that, uh, they they unlocked a lot on offense, um, and they were able to run like a really efficient offense. I don't know about high pace necessarily, but they were – super efficient and part of that was of course having Jalen which Kyrie can fulfill that role obviously and probably better than Jalen did last season um but yeah I don't I don't really necessarily see drafting a guard as the worst thing if as long as you know we hit on the pick and get an actually productive player like for example the Kings drafted Davion Mitchell and people were shitting on that because you know you already got De'Aaron Fox and I think at the time didn't they have Halliburton they as well Halliburton. they did yeah. yeah they did which and then eventually they got rid of Halliburton of course but still like whether or not they made that trade Davion Mitchell is still a good player and he contributed to the Kings quite a bit this season and they were a third seed they made the playoffs everything so like it's not cut and dry like if you get somebody who doesn't necessarily fit on the depth chart on day one like it's not always gonna end like that basically take best player available yeah that that you evaluated and it's hard to go wrong from there yeah i mean i I wonder like how much uh, the mavericks or how comfortable the mavs would be picking a guy that they know will probably come off the bench day one right but how comfortable are they going that route and saying like we'll figure it out as the season goes on like we feel like this guy could start eventually um because like look the Mavericks do need at least two two starters right like to add this summer what however they do that two maybe even three starters I guess depends on what happens with uh Josh Green and and how he factors into their rotation right but they do need a starting five they need a starting four uh and possibly a starting three right so what's Dwight Powell playing (laughs) <laughs> I expect Dwight Powell to be back on the Mavericks, but obviously not as a starter. At least I hope not. Uh, here's my thing. Um, obviously, everyone's gone to three-guard lineups now throughout the league. Like We're seeing that throughout the playoffs, uh, bench lineups, hybrid lineups, which is three undersized guys, shooting guard and small forward. 
Um, especially with Luca and the Mavs, the Mavs can end up, with Luca and Kyrie, the Mavs could do an endless amount of things. But I'm going to be very frank with you. I don't think Josh Green is the solution this year at the three. I think he's going to develop really well on the bench if if the Mavs had, I don't know, a better three to play in front of him. But right now, too much is kind of sitting on that, like Jay said, the four and the five. Um, obviously, we want to be able to leverage the 10th pick into one of those guys, a starting four or a starting five. Yep. But very realistically, it's not a big enough asset to get you really what you, the, the best thing that you could get to fill that need. So they arguably need three front court starters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good luck. No, yeah, it really, and that's why it's like you're, you have to either focus on the big or you got to focus on the wing. Um, and it's going to be really tough to get a wing unless you, know, you just trade for Ananobi or something crazy. Um, which again, we've talked about how they're not the market movers. So I think maybe it's more realistic to look at who fills the big situation and then going from there. Because I honestly think the, the starting five for the Mavs could be a thing that's sorted out through a trade after free agency is kind of underway. Um, once salary situations have kind of found themselves. I think a lot of teams are also game planning for that second apron now. Um, yeah. And there's going to be a lot of moves for future flexibility from teams that didn't need to do that until the CBN was announced. So the Mavs have got to be involved in those decisions. And I would say they can't be afraid to move on from Hardy or Green as much as we love them if it gets you a guy that can start at the four. Because we don't know that Josh Green can start at the three on a, on a championship team. We just don't. As much as we like him, as much as he projects to be a good three-point shooter, he can play make, he can dribble a little bit, he can defend well. It's, that's great off your bench. Uh, you don't look at look at this team that we're watching right now, the Nuggets. They have somebody at every position that is versatile and can score. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, around Jokic Even and around Luka, you need the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Vando is a guy that Mavs fans have been talking about forever. Yeah. So Damn, even Jeff Green would have would have been a huge addition on this year's Mavs team. Yeah, I mean, look, like the the league has changed a lot since Luca was drafted and the Mavericks are still playing an old style of basketball, right? Like their roster has been stagnant for a long time despite the trades that have been made. And the name of the game in the league now is size and versatility. Um, you know, teams are playing bigger lineups. Like we look at the Lakers, like Rui Hachimura, Anthony Davis, LeBron. Uh, I mean, the Nuggets also, Jeff Green, Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, Gordon, Gordon, even KCP is not a small guy, right? So it's like, that's the way the league is going. And the Mavericks are, are like on a nightly basis outsized and outmuscled by their opponent. Like they need size and toughness and athleticism. Like their roster is lagging behind the curve in a big way. Tough part is Maxi Kleber was kind of our version of that four big wing prototype that is but that's crucial, just one but guy yeah, though. now he's kind of washed at this point he's also like 32 so yeah and i mean he's about to hit the first year of his extension that's not necessarily looking like the best contract right now but i mean they can't ask him to do what they've asked him to do in past years which is yeah like guard Kawhi leonard for a series guard uh devin booker on switches in a series like he's not going to be able to do all that yeah you can't forward. expect him to do that as well as be like your small ball five 
Like yeah, that's just so, you're exactly. asking. It's, tough, yeah. it's a much. tough position to find. And like, like, look at Anthony Davis right now. He's you're basically asking him to do the same thing if you're the Lakers, and he's gotten run down this entire playoffs, right? I mean, in the first game, he had two rebounds. Um, it's just tough, especially because Maxi can shoot the ball, um, and he's a guy that you can pick and pop and you can pick and roll with. Ideally, like when he's healthy, that should fit amazing next to Luca in the starting lineup, but he hasn't been healthy and he gets older every single year. Um, like we all do. But I am concerned <laughs> on the big <laughs> note because we all know that the Mavs need rebounding really badly. And I think we also agree that we would rather have a versatile rebounder at the wing position, maybe the four, um, rather than a more traditional big, uh, <laughs> like a certain unnamed sun center which by the way uh, on that note like mark stein reported today that the mavs interest in deandre ayton has been overstated in his words like while there are people in the organization who are fans of him there's also concerns about his ability to live up to his contract which is good to hear because i think those concerns are very valid and probably higher as a consideration than his untapped potential and it I think, as you said in our lottery uh, reaction episode, it doesn't solve the problem, right? That I think it'd be a defense. horrible idea. I don't know if I said that the other time, but I think going after... I'm glad that Stein said that in the report, but going after DeAndre it would just be such a horrible idea considering how much he's getting paid. Like, yeah. It's not just like a reclamation project on a one-year flyer in the free yeah. agency market. Like, you're trading for a guy that's on a max contract. For three more years. So. And I can understand why the Pacers gave him that contract because for them, it's they have Miles Turner... Around at around twenty, right? So it's like fifteen million more, and they feel like they can project him to. I mean, they're just taking be chances. That's a team that's a mid market. But they also taking they can right. They have they have young talent like Halliburton on their team, yeah. guys that can raise the ceiling of DeAndre Ayton like that. And the issue is Halliburton's very young, and there's no stakes yet in his career. I don't. Luca is young, but there are stakes. Yeah, for sure. Right. So this is a guy that has gotten All NBA first team four times, and he's only twenty four. Right. Like. If he wins a championship soon, this guy could be top 10 when he retires. Like, top 10 in, in NBA history. Yeah, um, he absolutely it, has that talent. And, and it, it really sucks that the Mavs are in this asset start position where every move has to get you closer to a starting quality four or five. Like, but, the, uh, they messed up the years where Luka was on a rookie-scale contract, and now they have to make up kind of all this hard work that they didn't do or hitting on these asset movements or trades or free agency acquisitions and now he's on a supermax contract and now time is ticking and all that stuff like they just kind of made it harder on themselves than what it should have been and now it's like time is now to make this right it definitely took them too long to transition um the gm regime Mm -hmm. Uh, i i think that's very clear um but let's see yeah, I don't know, like, obviously all this Aiden talk, I think I was, I forget what, exactly what I said last time we recorded, but I might have been, like, softly in favor of it, which I still, I don't know, it, it's tough to say, because, like, you see all these playoff teams that have been, that are still here, and you don't really see a traditional center. You see very talented centers, but you don't see a traditional one like DeAndre Aiden or in earlier rounds, Jared Allen or whatever, or even Joel Embiid, for instance. He's, yeah, I wouldn't exactly call Embiid traditional, but he's 
closer to that than the rest of these remaining centers are. And I, I, all I want to say is that just like, if you want to get a traditional center who's, you know, um, very talented at what he does, at what his skill set is, um, that's fine. Like I, in terms of, it's like a quick fix in terms of getting yourself, your roster up to like playoff caliber. But in terms of like true contender status, that's a much tougher ask, which especially when you're, um, you know, devoting a lot of money towards that guy, as Vinay was mentioning. Um, I mean, yeah. And the, the playoff centers get played off the floor, which yeah, is yeah. what it is. It's just, that's yeah, it just, really, it takes one gone. team that goes small and has the personnel to really just way faster than your big. It just doesn't make sense to commit max money to a big man anymore unless they're a Jokic. Or an Embiid, and even Embiid, and I don't even know because even Embiid, Game Seven yeah, against the Celtics, exactly. like, like that. That's why even Jarrett Allen, like people suggest him as an option for the Mavericks. I'm not totally sold on that either. Like, I mean, skills wise, he definitely um, addresses a need for them. But I'm just thinking, like at his at his price point, like that's not smart team building um, in this day and age. How much does he make? I think he's. Probably close to thirty million. I don't know the exact number. I thought I Jared Allen was around like twenty million. Yeah, sure. I, oh, he so might I thought he was like twenty four. Um, Please be better at your job, Jay. Is it? <laughs> what, what is his contract? It's twenty million for the next three years. Okay, that's I, that's a little bit better. Each. That's better. That's yeah. that's Miles Turner's contract basically. Um, yeah. Except I think he has more years on him. Like that's a decent price point for a center to be like, yeah. okay, you're like a a significant role player on this team, and like you can get benched in certain situations if you have to be yeah um but especially in the rotation he would be a decent defensive anchor as well as a good role man um and i haven't seen enough film on his screening but from what i remember in brooklyn it was pretty good yeah i think i think jared allen could solve a lot of problems for you especially with rebounding um but yeah i even in beat i don't think it's not that he gets played off the floor as much, but uh, I mean, you can't just, take him off the floor because he's so good. But he's just going to get picked on. It's just it's easier for a defense to key in on a high-scoring traditional big than it is for them to key in on an offense that has three or four different weapons that can score threes, get that guy at the basket, as well as steal and run in transition. Um, Especially when Embiid does all that foul baiting stuff that he likes to do. I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. You'll have me talking for like 30 minutes about how he's a fraud and Jokic should have three MVPs. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends yesterday, casual NBA fan. He thought Jokic had won his third MVP this year. I was like, nope. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> well, I think uh, we covered a lot of stuff, right? Like We covered kind of all the options the Mavs had, some potential names and all those options. I'm not sure there's anything uh, left to talk about. Are there any other guys that we think the Mavs should angle to trade for? Any guys that have been talked about? I think that's all I can think of that we haven't addressed. Mm. A lot of times when I see a trade guy get mentioned on Twitter, it's just like, why would that team trade him? Yeah, I, yeah. my, my, my whole thing with fake thinking. trades, right, is that if, if someone, if we mention it on Twitter, like the, the teams have mentioned it, weeks before we have i know, honestly uh, hate fake trades trade machine, just, all that stuff I it's hate. Just, just not my thing show me know? the trade when it happens yeah exactly yeah. we could concoct like millions of trades but how many of them are actually going to happen like one right yeah. 
So it's just a waste of time in my opinion. But also if that's those, your thing, go do it. That's those it. Twitter trades, they don't even work financially half the time. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what's like, just because you guys have brought it up, I've seen a lot of people on Mavs Twitter talking about a potential deal with Brooklyn and getting either one or both of Dorian back or uh, Claxton. And Dorian, that's one thing. Like, yes, it's actually legal to trade back for him. I didn't know this, but I recently found out that now that the season's about to be over, once it concludes, we can trade back for Dorian. But, like, one, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. I guess, like, on an intangible perspective, sure, but he's declining and he's not, like... He didn't give us his best outing this season when we had him. But Claxton, like, again, like, I don't really see how he leaves Brooklyn, especially not for, like, whatever the Mavs can offer. So I just, yeah. I don't know, man. It, it's goofy. <laughs> like, the players we want, like, are valuable to the teams that they're yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I was Hey, can we get up. Jamal Murray? <laughs> He's, He's going, on the fucking right going nuts right now. 26? 11 of 13, 4 of 5 from... Th- this is like the fourth quarter last night, or the last yeah, game. Yeah, he's on one. Um, anyways, that's why I was... At least I wanted to talk through the Aiton thing, because I just don't think other GMs are going to give Mavs, like, ready talent. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have to finagle it somehow. Jared Allen is one guy, but like, can you can you really land a like a wing like Ananobi when the third pick is seriously in play for him? And like, yeah, like, I that's don't the think thing. So. Ananobi, like, even if you take out Portland, like the Grizzlies, Pelicans, Thunder, all have even like, the Pistons overload of draft picks yeah. to where like Ananobi is going to get sold if in a trade. Like, if he goes this summer, like it's going to be an overpay. Like. He's a great player, fits playoff time, all that stuff. But, like, Raptors are asking probably a little bit too much, and they're going to get whatever they want because that type of prototype player is just, like, that important to the modern NBA. Claxton even. Claxton is one of those guys that's, like, you would think is a buy-low fit. He hasn't reached what his potential would be, and he has a good skill set to fit next to our guys. He maybe wouldn't get played off the floor as much. But you still got to pay him, versatile. You still have to pay him, number one. And, two, like, you don't have enough to get him from Brooklyn I don't think yeah. uh, not not in an asset neutral trade I think Cam Thomas is the only guy that they will hemorrhage any assets for um, just because it seems like they don't think he's part of the long term future yeah yeah definitely but, but that doesn't fit a need for us yeah so. I mean, we have Jaden Hardy already so it's tough it's really tough to look at any other team in the league and find a suitor it is very tough. Like, this is, there's not any obvious solutions, which is why the more I think about it, sometimes I'm like, maybe we should just select a player, right? We have them on a rookie contract for four years. Um, you know, any player we trade for is probably going to be a free agent within the next two seasons. Then you got to pay him, and you already got Luca and Kyrie on big deals. You pay that guy, like, you're going to be faced with tough decisions at that point. Um, and if you haven't won, things can go south quickly. So, I mean, the new CBA is still very unknown, but I think um, teams are going to be approaching it with caution and understandably. What was Bay moved for at this deadline? I think the four seconds, wasn't it? Um, it was like, like a four-team deal, I think, between Atlanta, Detroit, Golden State, and Portland. Oh, yeah. Didn't that deal almost get voided? Or it did because some... of Gary Payton's uh, yeah, physical. Yeah. But Yeah. He basically got traded for nothing, though. The only reason I say that is even if you draft a guy that's like more ready but maybe doesn't fit you super well, like you can definitely engage other teams on that because then you have a guy who they would have to give up some assets to get. And then 
it's kind of an equal playing field. Right now, the whole issue is the Mavs don't have the assets to be buyers in the way they need to be. Yeah, it, it's got it, it. Things are gonna have to fall into their lap, right? It's gonna be either trading for a distressed asset, or uh, or an expendable player to some other team, right? But um, you know, I think things again will become a little bit clearer as we get to the draft because there's so many options right now, none which really stand out. But uh, at least we got something to talk about, right? So uh, I'm excited. Hey, all I'm going to say is there's a lot of dumb teams that pick in the top 10 of an NBA draft. And it just takes a couple of teams overthinking it. And you yeah, never know what I'm, you end up with at 10. Maybe Mr. Taylor Hendricks is there at 10. You get lucky on draft night. You never true. know. Very uh, true. So, yeah. I mean, like I've said before on this podcast specifically, like I want to hopefully we stay at 10, honestly. Like if the right trade's there, you take it. But stay at 10. Trust your scouting department. Wow. Hopefully, like you like a player that's at 10 and – that's your building block next to Luca, Jaden Hardy, yep. Josh, whoever. Plus, yeah. that lottery has five or six solid wings. One of them just needs to drop. Whether it's Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, even uh, what's his name? One of the Thompsons. Brandon Miller drops to maybe five. <laughs> you know, because yeah. everyone says that his uh, conditioning is bad or whatever it is they're yeah. saying now. You know, yeah. the Wizards need a guard. Like I don't know, you you can talk yourselves into teams just overthinking it, I guess. And yeah. maybe they take a player that they that fits their team more than it fits your team, and it works out. Definitely. Yeah. Once upon a time, like uh, about a decade ago, eleven years ago, the Wizards did take Jan Vesely with a top five pick, and you guys are all saying who probably. So uh, I know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a almost um, didn't like. A couple years ago, wasn't there like a report about the Mavs looking at him? <laughs> I Which, I don't remember, but I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do actually have one last thing that I thought about, which is potentially be a very quick discussion, but like, because I haven't really kept up with the reporting too well, but what is the, is it a, a certain thing that the Mavs front office even wants to necessarily keep Kyrie, which I know that sounds blasphemous and it sounds stupid for me to even be discussing this, but like we have all this talk about a timeline and, you know, we're a little bit hamstrung by Kyrie. Damn, what a turnover uh, by Kyrie. Um, you know, he's <laughs> o- over 30 <laughs> and he's, uh, you know, he's not necessarily going to be the same player in four years or so. Uh, unlike Luca, who's only going to get better. Um, but, yeah, what are the odds that the Mavs decide they want to keep him? And, yeah, I, okay, sorry, this is just silly because, you know, obviously you got to keep Luca happy and show that you're trying to compete. But you're going to ex- spend so much money on yeah. a short guard who is a wonderful scorer, but, like, on – in terms of roster building, you could probably get so much by trading, signing and trading Kyrie as well. You, you don't necessarily have to like keep him to be great. You can retool. And, you know, again, that would probably mean another year of like not being amazing, maybe being a play-in team or a fringe team like that. As like, long as you're a playoff contender, I think it's a benefit from last year. This is why I was talking about the Aiton sign and trade thing for Kyrie last time. Yeah. Because it's not that I don't like Kyrie in a Mavs uniform. It's just, it's a great fit. It's just not the perfect fit. Like, who am I to say that, not Fred Van Fleet, but like a guy who can defend and just is a fundamental scorer. Right, can just score the three a couple times and can facilitate the pick and roll offense. That a point guard like that wouldn't facilitate 
a better team building process because the Mavs are so hamstrung at this point that not being tied into that 40, $50 million for Kyrie for the next four or five years, that allows you to get two or three really high level pieces, three star, four star pieces. And from a roster construction standpoint alone, it's very tempting, especially with Luca being this young. It, it is tempting. I just don't see it as a realistic possibility just given the tax implications. Like The teams that would be interested in Kyrie are probably ones that are close to the tax or already in the tax, right? But I do agree with you guys on that, that like you know, there is a lot of value in getting multiple pieces to to put around Luka because you know as we saw with the Lakers like that's really what took them to the next level so um we'll see but I do think that Kyrie factors heavily into their plans all right I think uh I think that's that's about it for us on this episode you guys got anything else no it's just it's weird that things are this bleak with the fact that the Mavs actually have assets and uh, moves that they can make this summer. It's just nothing seems clear, which adds to the anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's bleak because at least we have the freaking pick. It's just frustrating, that lack of clarity. Did he not get teed up for that? <laughs> he, he was talking oh to his God, own bench. <laughs> no, nah, he was definitely complaining to the ref, but LeBron oh. also had a had a fit... Scott Foster. Thoughts, Foster. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, just really quickly, like, you had Luka Doncic on a rookie-scale contract, and I understand, like, you made a swing and miss at Kristaps Porzingis in that trade, but at the same time, like, they just should have done a lot better in terms of surrounding building blocks around Luka, and I don't know exactly how it went this badly, but it did, and now they have to, like I said, make up for it. Yep. Well said, guys. Well, thanks for joining on this episode. It's great to always do these podcasts in person. Uh, I don't know when we'll see Rohan in person next, but hopefully not too far into the future. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, There's going to be a lot to talk about, I think, here in the next five weeks or so before the draft. But, you know, it's exciting now knowing that we got the pick and knowing that there's a multitude of possibilities. And I think it's safe to say that Uh, there will be a lot of change this offseason. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back with another episode next week. Please follow us on Twitter at Maps Film Room. If you haven't, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go Mavs, and we'll see you soon. And don't forget, in about eight weeks, we're going to be talking to you guys about the Kristaps Porzingis Return podcast. I don't know about that one. (laughs) Strike that from the tape.